0: Is there a plan for human history? Is there a blueprint somewhere that we could unroll and see how we're getting along, where we're going, and what it's going to look like in the end? Or, as one generation passes on to the baton to the other, is it all the chasing of the wind? Will all human endeavour end up just fading away or maybe in a great explosion turn to dust? Or will human endeavour... Be fulfilled beyond our wildest imagination. Well, these are some of the issues that our passage in Ephesians chapter one is going to cover. And so there's three things we're going to see today. The first thing we're going to see is that there is a plan. The second thing that there is a universal plan. And thirdly, we're going to say Christ is this universal plan. Three things. There is a plan. There is a universal plan. Christ is this universal plan. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will make it alive to us, that we will see Jesus afresh in these pages and that our lives will conform and align with your will for us. Soften our hard hearts, open our deaf ears. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Now just as we start I'd like to acknowledge that I'm drawing from a sermon by Tim Keller. Now Tim Keller is a recently retired Presbyterian minister from the States and when I was looking at how he approached this passage I like the way he divided it into three and in some of his points so I've, I've adapted them into this message. So is there a plan? I mean many people think there is not a plan. There is no divine purpose to human history and many of you People agree with Macbeth in Shakespeare's famous play and King Macbeth as all his plans are crumbling around him says this life's but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more it is a tale told by an idiot full of the sound and fury signifying nothing And I think we can all relate to that last sentence so cleverly put. Human history at times feels like a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And this idea that there is no divine plan, there is no purpose to humanity, is reflected in modern secular thought that comes from a materialistic worldview, that there are no gods, there is no supernatural just the material, atoms and movement and energy and the like. Now, many people find this very attractive because then there's no pesky God to interfere with our lives. We don't have to worry about our moral choices as much. And so we can live our lives with no consideration to a God who may have plans. And that's the attraction. However, most people who hold that view do not think through what are the implications of a life a world with no God, with no God plans. Now one secularist who's done the hard thinking about this is a philosopher, Bertrand Russell, a 20th century mathematician and philosopher. And he thought through to the logical conclusion what life means if there is no God, if there is no divine plan. And it's just what science tells us. And so he writes this. If you accept the laws of science, you have to suppose that human life and life in general on this planet will die out in due course as the solar system decays. Now at a certain stage during this decay, you get the sort of conditions that are ideal for life. And there is life for a short time as the solar system winds down. You see this in the moon, the sort of thing in which the Earth is tending. Something dead, cold, And lifeless. And so you see, Bertrand Russell realised if there is no God, if there's no God plan, then eventually all humanity, all our endeavour will become lifeless, will turn to dust, just like the moon. He goes on to write this in another place. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built? So what he's saying is, don't fool yourself into believing there's a purpose and that anything counts, because no one's going to remember you in three or four generations, and in a hundred years none of us will be remembered, remembered. So it's all pointless. Any meaning you attribute to your life and your achievements is but dust. And the sooner you realise that and live your life in that light, the better it will be. Now, that's not particularly cheery thought, but that's the logical conclusion of those folk who do not believe that there is a God or that he has a plan. Now, contrasting this, contrasting Macbeth and contrasting Bertrand Russell, who so well summed up the materialists' worldview and conclusion, against this we have the Bible that makes it very clear that there is a plan. There is a plan. And we see this three times in our passages in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 10. Verse 10: When the times will have reached their fulfillment. And you see that idea of purpose and plan there. In verse 11: In Him we are also chosen according to the plan of Him. So there we have it, quite explicitly. God has a plan. The purpose of his will. And we see that at the end of verse 11. Works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God has a plan. And it has a purpose. And it will be fulfilled. Those are the three things that we learn here. God has a plan. He has a purpose. And it will be fulfilled. Some of you might be thinking, well, it's fine. I have my plans. And if there is a God, he or she can have their plans. I know everyone has a plan. Some plans are vague. Some plans are all talk. But if God wants to have plans, I'm happy with that. However, this brings us to a second point. Not only is there a plan, but this plan is universal. A universal plan. And that means it impacts you and I. And the implications are huge. So let's consider this. A universal plan that affects you and I. And where do we see that in the passage? Well, again, verse 10. To bring all things in heaven on earth together. That's the plan. To be put in effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven on earth together. So you see that's the plan and that it's universal. We see that it's universal because it's all things. All things and in heaven and on earth. So God's plan is to bring all living things on earth together and all living things in heaven together. And not just that, but creation itself will all be brought together in this universal plan. Now, as I was thinking about this, it's all a bit abstract. And I was thinking, well, how can I show God's universal plan in a way that we can get a bit of a handle on? I thought, well, maybe we just get a small portion of this grand plan, and then we can see how layered it is, and how... It is so grand and universal and all-encompassing. And we can see this in Joseph's story. Now, Joseph's story is found at the end of Genesis. And as a teenager, he was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, but God was with him. And as a slave, he rose to prominence until he was falsely accused and thrown into jail. But God was with him. God had a plan. And so again, he rose to prominence. And then he was promised his freedom. And it never came about. And it was two years later, 13 years after being sold into slavery, that things changed. God gave Pharaoh a dream. Joseph was the only person to interpret it. And within a matter of hours, Joseph was prime minister, standing at the right hand of the king, the right hand of Pharaoh, and administrating the whole country, in particular, the growing of food. And that was... God's plan and things were just as bad With Jacob his father And his brothers uh, Jacob was still playing favourites One of the older brothers had slept with his stepmother uh, One of the other brothers had uh, slept With his sister-in-law and it was just Chaos And then there's a famine and the Bible makes it Clear that this famine is God's Plan and so the brothers come back to Egypt and do not realise that the Distributor of all the food Is their brother And the brothers are tested And Judah is given the opportunity to give his life for the youngest son, Benjamin. And then there's this wonderful reconciliation. Wonderful reconciliation between father and son and brother and siblings. And the family is saved from salvation. And this is all part of God's plan. But this plan is universal. It's more than just Joseph and his family. Because you see, without Joseph organising that food for seven years during the time of plenty, the Egyptians would have starved. The surrounding nations would have starved. And so God's plan was universal. It wasn't just for Joseph and his brothers and his father. It was actually for the nations. Earlier in, in Genesis, we read that Abraham was promised that his seed, his offspring, would save, would bless many nations. And we see this here. God is fulfilling his plan that he had told Abraham generations before this universal plan. And not only did God have a plan for that family and a plan for the nations, but he also has a plan for us because Joseph's story points to Christ, where Christ also one day stood at the right hand of the Father and forgave those who betrayed him, you and I. Can you see the grand scope of God's plan? We just think it's about us and our family, but... God weaves all these events into this grand universal plan that we see here. And just as Joseph and his ability to stand at the right hand of the king and forgive those who betrayed him, just as that small part points to the coming of Christ, the whole plan is focused and centered on Christ. And we see that in verse 9. He made known the mystery of his will, the plan, which he purposed in Christ. So the mystery of God's plan is purposed in Christ. And then we also see this in verse 10. To bring all things together in heaven and earth, that's a universal plan, together under one head, even Christ. So God's plan is to bring all things together on heaven and earth under Christ. So that universal plan becomes a universal plan with Christ At the center. Now this leads to a very important question, and that question is, well, why do we need to be brought together in the first place? What what's the background here for this bringing together? If that's God's universal plan, it must be important. Well, we see that way back at the beginning of things in Genesis three, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and they were thrown out of the garden. Their relationship with God was torn and needed to be put back together. Not only were their relationship with God was torn, and they were blocked out from the presence of God, but their relationship with each other was torn. For their oldest two boys, well, Cain murdered Abel. And then Cain was estranged. He was sent away from the family. And so the family was torn apart. And so can you see from the very beginning, we have been torn apart, and there is a yearning when each one of us, in each of our souls, <laughs> each of our hearts, to... Be brought back together with God and with each other. And it's, and it's not just us that are torn apart, but creation itself. Creation has was, creation was torn at the fall and longs to be brought together. And we see this in a cluster of verses around Romans chapter eight. This whole longing of creation to be brought together. Verse 19. Creation waits in eager expectation. Verse twenty. Creation was subject to frustration. Uh, verse twenty-two. Creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So just like we have been torn apart, so has creation. But God's universal plan in Christ, we read in verse twenty, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so this great universal plan, Christ will bring us and creation all together and unite us all. And so can you see the three things here? There is a plan, praise God. The plan is universal. Everything in heaven and earth will be brought together. And thirdly, Christ is this universal plan. He is the one that is bringing things together under his head, under his lordship, together in Christ. And this has serious implications for you and I. I mean, what are our take-homes once we consider this wonderful universal plan with Christ at the centre? Well, the first thing is we cannot avoid this plan. We don't have the option of us having our plans, God having his plans, and never the twain shall meet. God's plan, whether we like it or not, involves us. It impacts us. And unless our plans have Christ at the centre, we are rebelling, we are going against God's universal plan. Let me give you an example of this universal plan. It's common for some people to have Jesus as an add-on, to come to church and go through the motions so that God will bless their plans. Now, if you ask your average churchgoer, they won't quite articulate it like that, but that's kind of how they live. So let's go through an example. Suppose you have a dream, and that dream is to be the best in your field and area manager by the time you're 40. And you say, well, I have a plan, and it's a good plan. And if I have to cut some corners and lie on my CV, if I have to neglect my marriage a little bit just so that I can focus on getting my plan done and even put some people in a bad light that puts me in a better light, well, that's okay, because this is my plan and this is my dream. And, oh, by the way, God, bless this plan. But that's now how it works, because God's plan is to bring all things together in Christ. You can't have God as an add-on to bless your plans. And this brings us to our second take-home for this morning, and that is God invites us into his great and wonderful and universal plan. We're not left on the outside. He says, come join your plan with mine, align, intertwine, and you will find fulfillment. You will find what your heart desires. And so instead of saying, bless my plans, we're saying, well, Lord, what is your plan? And it may be that we still have this dream of being area manager by the time we're 40, and that's a good plan. But instead of it being focused on me, we bring Christ into the occasion. And we pray something like like this, Lord, this is my dream, and this is how I plan to get there, but Lord, what do you want me to do? Is this the right thing? Lord, guide my steps, and even if my dream's not the right dream, I know you'll have a better dream. And then living out a life worthy of our calling, living a life of integrity, of honesty, of looking out for other people, we then follow out our plan. But always open to God and what, and keeping him at the centre. And like Joseph, we get so frustrated with the time frame, don't we? I mean, God God seems to be very slow with his plans. I mean, you know, Joseph, you think, 13 years a slave and in prison? Lord, couldn't you have done that in six months? (laughs) You know, surely you didn't need to wait 13 years. But you see, God's purpose is not so that Joseph could be prime minister and live a good life. His purpose was to... Bring what was torn apart in Joseph and bring it together. You see, Joseph, when he was 17, he was spoiled. He was arrogant. He was full of himself. Now, how's God going to change that? How's he going to bring that together, that torn apart personality into, brought together? Well, you can't just tell a 17-year-old, can you? You can't rock up to a 17-year-old and say, Listen, Joseph, uh, you're spoiled and you're full of yourself. Sort yourself out. I mean, that, even if Joseph's listening, it's going to go over his head. You see, some things we can't be told, we must be shown. And it took 13 years for God to mold that character so that Joseph came out the other end as a man of integrity and God focused wanting to honor him. And it's the same with us. (laughs) There's part of us that's torn apart and we just can't be torn. We must be shown. And so t- sometimes our plans align with God and it's all good and ticks over nicely. But there are times when our plans are turned upside down because God is more, more interested in pulling us together and making us whole. And this brings us to our third point. Our third point is not to waste the plan. Our final take on them is not to waste the opportunity to align for Christ because it's as we fix our eyes on Jesus that we are pulled together, we're not torn apart. Let's go back to Calvary on the night that Jesus was betrayed and after the mock trial and, and the false verdict, the soldiers took Jesus out and they ridiculed him and they spat on him and punched him and then they scourged him, they whipped him and on and all likelihood that would have had three cords and into the twined with that three cords would have been shards or broken shards of pottery or, or bone. And as each of those three cords strike Jesus' back, the pottery would grip and the shards of bone would tear and Christ was torn for you and I. He was torn apart. And he did this gladly so that he could bring you together. Jesus was torn apart so that you and I could be brought together in Christ. And that is the wonderful glory, the cost, but the wonderful glory of the cross that Jesus suffered for you and I, so that we could be brought together under him and made whole. So let us not waste our opportunity to align our plan with him. And what have we looked at today? We've looked at three things. We've looked at there is a plan. (laughs) Many people say there's no plan and live their life as if God did not exist, but we know from the word of God that there is a plan. We know it's universal. We know that God's universal plan is to bring everything in heaven and earth together. Why? Because we were torn apart at creation, even creation itself. And there's this longing in every human heart to be brought back together. And we see that's only possible in Christ. He who was torn and pulled apart at the cross did so that we could be brought together. How can we not respond in giving our lives to Christ and worshipping him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we still ourselves as we, we think of Christ who was torn for us so that we could be brought together and made whole. What a privilege it is to be invited into this universal Christ-centered plan. Equip us by your Holy Spirit that we might live lives worthy of this calling that we have received. May Christ be made more real to us in each day, Lord, as we commit ourselves to him and pulling, being pulled together, Lord, instead of turned apart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.